Hello and welcome to the St. George's Podcast. I'm David Edgerton. I am the Rector and Lead Pastor at St. George Maple Ridge. And I'm Roxanne Brundle and I'm the Associate Pastor in Maple Ridge. And here today we have got the Reverend Alicia Greenfield and she's going to be chatting with us all about climate change. Hello, it is a pleasure and an honor to be here. It's great to have you with us. We, we, we want to get to the climate change thing in a few minutes, but first of all, it'd be good to check in and see how you are because uh, you were for a time driving all the way from the other side of the other side to Maple Ridge. What have you been doing since we last saw you at St. George's? <laughs> That's correct. I have, I loved my time in Maple Ridge, but I did drive all the way from North Vancouver to get there. Since then, I have graduated from BST and been ordained deacon, as is our tradition, and now am a priest. I'm a curate at St. Francis in the Wood, West Vancouver. And a curate is a person, a priest generally, who has been fairly newly ordained and so is set with a mentor who helps them understand all the stuff that they don't teach you formally anywhere practically. And so I've been working with Angus Stewart out in West Vancouver, and he has been a delight, especially in this time, because it turns out he's also an actor. So to learn some of the priestly duties at this time when we're doing so much digitally from a professional actor has been very engaging, very interesting, and super useful. Um, was there anything that you um, learned particularly while doing things like um, online services and stuff like that that you didn't know before? I think the biggest piece would be an awareness of how we choose to focus our attention. So if you think about a big blockbuster movie, you tend to sort of watch the explosions and, and follow the plot in that way. But a lot of how people invite us to, to participate in that kind of visual event on a screen is actually super subtle with lighting. Where, where do we put the light is often where we put our attention. And then you think scripturally, how many times we're invited to look at the light, right? So that's been a super interesting way to wonder about how we pray together. And just one more thing, what's the best thing that you've been able to do during this time? So this time for me as a curate is unusual in that it is also COVID-19. I think in fear, people are often incredibly honest. So all of those places where we would ordinarily just not say that out loud, we're, we're blurting it out. And I think it is so good for our souls to be honest with each other that way, to be a part of those kinds of conversations just feels like the most incredible honor. Awesome. So we're going to uh, talk today about the climate um, and uh, we've, we've got some questions that, that we've put together and I'm sure other things will come up as we go. First of all, just to kind of as a, as a way of background, you are the chair of the Diocesan Climate Emergency Committee. Could you tell us, for those people who don't know what the committee is or that it even exists, what is this committee and what have you been doing? First off, going to give you guff because the reason I'm on this committee is because you, David, asked me to be on the committee with you and then you stepped away and I ended up in chair. So I am feeling quite the connection to be here talking to you about this. 
It does all stem from a resolution that the church as a whole made when it gathered. The first thing is we declared as a church a climate emergency, that it isn't just that climate is an issue that we need to be aware of, but there is the urgency of an emergency in this issue. And so we said we would shift how we invest and make financial decisions. We said that we would support the diocese, which is our uh, regional structure, would support parishes in efforts to reduce their emissions, and that the diocese and the parishes would seek opportunities in our communities and partnerships to respond to this crisis. And the language absolutely is around crisis. Finally, we said that we would install two electrical vehicle charging stations at the Senate office, and that we would report back on all of these activities. So that's what the diocese did as a whole unit, and the support was overwhelming. Many, many, many people voted in favor of this motion. It was a recognition of what we were seeing going on in the world. And then what? You make these big grand statements. How do you actually create action in the world? So the Climate Emergency Working Group is a number of us. There's six, between six and eight, people, as people have come and gone a little bit, where we have tried to turn these grand goals into doable statements. So there are two pieces that I think are, are really particularly important to know about this, the work of this committee at this time. What we're working on is a draft of recommendations. And given that we, we truly do believe, as the resolution states, that this is an emergency, we have got a lot of recommendations. And instead of trying to make all sorts of beautiful compromises to get this through a committee, we are making a lot of recommendations for changes in, in how we operate as a response. Uh, we've broken it down to each of those sections, so we have recommendations about each of the bits. But before we get into the weeds, do you have any comments or questions about what I've said so far? My question is recommendations for individuals, recommendations for churches, recommendations to the government. Who do these recommendations go to? Primarily, this is a document to guide the Diocese of New Westminster. So it is addressed to the Archbishop and Bishop and the diocese to help them make decisions to support parishes. And I'm assuming that the recommendations are very specific so that people can actually do something as opposed to grandiose thoughts. Yes, we are, we are absolutely working to be as specific as we can. Churches are not huge creators of emissions because the climate, the actual climate emissions are generally burning of fossil fuels. So our heating, for example, would be a place where the church has climate emissions. And one of the big places where churches have an impact is so many of us drive to church and don't carpool or don't take transit or don't, as David is a stunning example to us all, take our bicycles. Those are places where churches do have an emissions impact on the world and we do need to address it partly as a way to role model in the world that we we make these choices and to help practice looking at these choices in community 
in a, a safe place to talk about what we can do, but it is individuals and corporations that have a bigger emissions impact on the world. And we don't want to pretend that if all of the churches just and only triple glaze their windows, that we'll fix the climate crisis. Two of the things we've done at St. George's in the last couple of years is that we have changed all of our 30-year-old toilets to new low-flush toilets to reduce water emissions and they needed replacing so we, we picked low flush ones and we also have been been on a real mission to kind of cut down on waste and the huge cost of waste is is not just environmental but it actually is thousands of dollars a year that the church is having to pay to have waste taken away what we've done is reduced our waste by about 55 percent and gone to much smaller containers for it to go in. Actually, having a smaller waste bin, uh, we don't know if it's working in practice because COVID happened, and so we're producing less waste anyway. But the theory is if the bins are smaller, then it, it helps emphasize the fact we need to recycle more and we, we just can't be creating waste. So we've seen a big cost saving and we've invested that in hand dryers, which will also reduce the paper towel waste that we were then throwing away. So that the whole thing kind of comes together um, and within a, within a 12 month period pays for itself. And so in the future, uh, we've got a massive cost saving and also um, a saving of at least 55% of, of our waste by volume and weight. And that wasn't really something that would necessarily have been in my mind, I would think, to jump straight to getting people to walk to church. Um, but actually, it was quite an easy win. Walking a very fine line between concrete and grandiose, I absolutely believe that one of the biggest impacts the church can have on the climate emergency is a place to process the world a place to really think through and pray about how we are experiencing all of the events that are linked to climate crisis, a place to practice grief, a place to practice communal prayer, and very much a place to practice moving beyond scientific models that are super head-based. And notice that humans tend to make decisions, tend to make changes from their emotions. So how do we help people as a church with faith practices, whether or not you believe all the way to today or all the way tomorrow, we can still all step into faith practices as we deal with the trauma of living in a smoky city and, and hearing the news of so many people having such tremendous loss due to wildfire or hurricanes or drought. The world needs the church right now as a safe place to practice repentance, forgiveness, kindness, and caring for our neighbors in new ways. So we do have concrete suggestions about that, but it all sounds, it sounds grandiose in theory, but we, each of us as individuals, I strongly believe, need to practice these, these issues in the world right now. And I think one of the reasons we even do a podcast is so that we can discuss these issues, so that we can talk about these things and that we hope that St. George would be a place where people could talk about some of these issues and where the people in our church community could go out and talk about them as well. For, you, you've given a few ideas there for churches and what churches might be able to do as and when they upgrade windows or those kinds of things. But what about for us as individuals? What are the, what are the big things that we can do? Number one, transportation, carpool, change how we think about how we get around getting local, local holidays, local participation in community, 
basically right here in this place, because so much of our electricity is hydro, it's heating and it's transportation. So, so to examine those two and functionally, it is about reduce, reduce, reduce. I think sometimes it's, you know, people just have to think, okay, I've got to do these five things this week. Let's do them all in one day. Let's organize it so that we're going in one direction and coming back instead of five days, five trips all over the place. And, and communal. Um, something that the church has been speaking about for thousands of years. Knowing you're all going in the same place to the grocery store, to the church, to a community event. Can you go together and, and make that a more important consideration than the convenience of individual timing? I'm going to say it's a little harder now because of COVID to kind of get the big car pulling events that would often happen. One of the big pieces of our emissions in the Western world is not just taking a car to work, but the plane travel for our vacation in Spain. We live in one of the most beautiful spots in the world to reimagine an exciting adventure and allow it to be here would make a, a significant difference on our, our personal emissions. And then there are opportunities to buy into bio resources. BC Gas, you can buy sustainable or renewable emissions sources where they're tapping methane from a garbage dump as opposed to burning natural gas. And yeah, so the, the last piece would be our consumer choices. Right now, one of the biggest impacts on emissions in the world are corporations, right? So they're, they're all the industrial products. Do we really need more things to think really carefully because A, the energy cost in the production of those things, and B, the energy cost of transporting those things add up to invite corporations to invest less in making more things and more on sustainable options and more on potentially experience or adventure options for us to experience the world less through stuff and more through direct experiences. As we're talking about the world, I'd like to ask a question about what do we say to those people who say that climate change isn't real, uh, that this is just a natural change in temperature which occurs every so often, and the events that we're seeing as we record, we're, we're in September recording this, um, we're, we've got smoke everywhere that's blown up from wildfires in, in Washington and Oregon and California perhaps, and with this all around us, there are still people who are saying climate change isn't real. Is, is there a case of, of people being like deer in the headlights? It, it's just all too difficult. Yes. Hence my passionate uh, plea for, for prayer and for compassion and for practices, faith practices in response to this. How do we operate in a world where absolutely there are people who are denying climate change? And I think the first piece is to get clear on a scientific piece of information. And that is climate change is often a secondary cause. So for example, 
there are hurricanes in the world. There always have been, there always will be. There'll be some years that are worse and some years that are better. And that that isn't something we're arguing about. That's just true. Climate change exacerbates it. It makes it worse. So there is a hurricane season, but now with a very, very minute, like half a temperature degree increase in the, in the temperature of the ocean or in the atmosphere, and all of a sudden you have more hurricanes and they're more intense. You have this minute increase in the amount of water in the oceans due to polar, polar melting. And again, the hurricane season, season and systems that are already true become incredibly more intense. If you want to talk about hurricanes being caused by climate, it's very easy for you to be, in fact, wrong. However, the scientists just about universally agree that it is a secondary and greatly increasing and compounding character of, of something going on in the world. So that is true, again, of something like wildfires, which is super topical right now. If somebody says, well, there were wildfires before, that is absolutely correct. And wildfires is actually a great example because wildfires are also partly a response to us humans repressing and stopping wildfires for a generation or more. So all of a sudden we have this buildup of fuel and then as a third characteristic, we have a half a degree warmer and a minute less rain, so just a little bit more drought, and a single spark ignites it, and we see what we've been seeing in Australia and in California so far this year. And so we have an increase in magnitude, and we have an increase in frequency. So if you want to get into the weeds in science about climate change, it's very easy to get super far removed. And so it's not always helpful to come straight at an argument like for something like climate change. I think the advantage to getting educated from sources like government sources, which are super conservative, some of the scientists are making worst case projections and some are taking almost no projections. And the governments are really doing a pretty solid job of finding conservative but reasonable projections. So look at that kind of information if you're looking for science as opposed to some of the newsworthy sites which are, are exaggerated so as to best sell the news, right? So the facts are complicated. My recommendation is don't get into the weeds and probably don't get into an argument with someone who's denying climate change. Because if they say there is no climate change and you argue, yes, they are, our delightful human brains tend to get into positioning and they get all wound up ready to defend their position and you may too. And I don't believe that's constructive. I think there would be great use in shifting the conversation to try and help all of us together collaboratively make sense of what we're seeing in the world. The issue is how can we care for those people? How can we care for creation, all of the creatures and the ecosystems that will be impacted this? How do we move forward given what we're seeing today? And how can we do that with compassion, forgiveness and kindness and not get isolated and as David was saying, deer in the headlight kind of experience. So my biggest piece of of invitation when talking about two climate deniers 
is don't get into the weeds, don't position, it's not useful, but together we can grieve that the world is on fire. So are you going to give us some recommendations, give us some ideas of where, where the church is going and what the church is asking the diocese to do and, what, and us indirectly? Two pieces, looking to reduce your emissions personally and as a church is great role modeling the types of behaviors and decisions that we need to make. They are, many of them, a little bit costly, but it is an investment to upgrade your windows or your furnace and to take a smaller vacation and invest in our future by getting a great high-efficiency water heater. What exactly that looks like in your specific community? Governments, again, have great information. So we direct you to Government of Canada resources, Metro Vancouver has incredible lists of the types of activities that will absolutely reduce our impact on the world. And they have helpfully divided them into sections like low cost, high cost, so that you can find the low hanging fruit. The biggest single piece that I, I can't say enough is invite our neighbors to talk about how they're experiencing the world right now. To move from that deer in the headlights, overwhelmed feeling into action means we need a safe place to, to honor and hold how we're feeling. So go out and listen. That is often what God is calling us to do, to love our neighbors by listening to the pain and the confusion of what's going on right now. But have you got any stories from churches who have done something, maybe even in the last couple of years, that is, is a way to reduce emissions or have an impact on their footprint. St. Francis in the Wood just put on a new roof. So that, I mean, he, talk about investing for future reductions. They put on eco tiles, so it's recycled plastic, so keeping some of the plastics out of landfill, reducing our heat bills, absolutely, so reducing our, our heat emissions. So that's what we have concretely done. I have heard of churches putting on solar panels, heating being a big emission, so there's been neat work there. Those are the ones that I'm aware of right now. Most of the chatter I'm hearing in community, of course, in this moment is COVID related. Sure. And, and COVID has, I mean, that in itself, uh, and, and it will be the next few years before we really see the, the detail of what's happened to the planet through this season. But just hearing stories of wildlife returning to beaches in India where they couldn't previously because of lockdown and the reduction in um, greenhouse gases through aviation being grounded, um, difficult for many who are out of work or can't see family, but a bonus uh, breathing space for the, for the planet. Yeah. And an illustration of the kind of change that we are capable of, that together we can have a significant impact and the world does breathe easier. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've loved having you with us and sharing about all the work you're doing both on the committee and really drilling down some of the practical things that we can do as individuals and in our churches. And if you're not part of a church and you're interested in what your local church is doing, I always on the podcast like to encourage people, go check out your local church. If you're near to St. George's, come to us. Um, but if you're somewhere else, check out your local church, find out what they're doing, and you'll see 
projects happening all over the place um, in this area. So, uh, Roxanne, any closing thoughts? No, just I just love the fact that you said talk and listen, listen and talk. And I think for some of us, that's such a good way to start. I also really liked when you said, you know, don't engage um, in kind of trying to prove your point that climate change is really there. Talk about how they're feeling about the world. And those are such good points. Thank you for that. Well, and thank you for allowing me to come and talk to you guys because I I adore you all and it's always a treat um, to come and see you in whatever format. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And the St. George's podcast is out on the first Wednesday of every month. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app. And if you don't have a podcasting app, then ask the technical person in your life, uh, take them your phone and say, hey, I, I want to work out how to get a podcast on my phone. And I'm sure you know somebody who can help you do that. If you don't have a phone, head to our website, stgeorgemapleridge.ca slash podcast, and you can catch up on all the podcasts right there. We will see you very soon.